Though the genetic forms of ALS make up a minority of the ALS population, what we can learn from that, I think, can really impact the entire ALS community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. According to an October 2020 Consumer Reports poll, 20% of American adults have taken a direct-to-consumer genetic test, the kinds of things that you'll often see at places like 23andMe or Ancestry. But the potential benefits of genetic testing extend beyond a deeper understanding of your ancestral heritage. Genetic testing is also an increasingly important tool in healthcare diagnosis and treatment. And that is why joining me this week to help set up our discussion of genetic testing and genetic counseling and its implications for the ALS community is Dr. Jill Yursak, Vice President of Mission Strategy at the ALS Association. Jill, thanks so much for joining us as our guest co-host this week. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, you know, Dr. Yursak, you're about the perfect person that we can have on this particular episode. As listeners are well aware, you are quite skilled at taking complex issues of cellular biology and neuroscience and explaining them to simple-minded folks like me. So with that in mind, Jill, why should folks listening at home care about genetic testing, care about genetic counseling? What role does it play in the ALS experience? Yeah, these are really great questions and something we've been thinking a lot about at the ALS Association. We know that there's a common misconception in the field that if you don't have a family history, you you don't carry gene mutation. And that's not true. So someone with a family history would have a gene mutation that would carry through the family, but it's also you can get a, acquire a gene mutation, a de novo, meaning out of nowhere. Yeah. And so even if you don't have that family history, it's a potential that you could have a gene that you may be carrying a gene mutation that is causing your disease. And so this is something that we hope for more people to understand and talk to their doctor about, because we believe at the ALS Association that everyone diagnosed with ALS and their families have a right to genetic testing and counseling, and that they should talk to their doctor and genetic counselors about how they could go about that in, in, once they are diagnosed. And Jill, I know that we kind of divide ALS cases into two broad categories, the familial and then the sporadic or singleton. But is it true that, I think it's true, but that even if you have a sporadic or singleton case, there could be a genetic cause or a genetic association to that singleton sporadic case of ALS? True. So what happens is, so researchers do all kinds of work to discover new genes. And we have over 30 validated ALS genes and a lot more. Uh, And each gene has all these different mutations. So there's a lot to learn. And so there's a huge possibility. And it's known that there are other genes out there that we just haven't discovered. Or even in a single gene, there may be a new mutation we haven't yet discovered. So it's really complicated. So it is. It could be that if you have a so-called sporadic or singleton case, meaning you're the only person in your family with ALS, you still may have a gene mutation, but just may not have been discovered yet. It's confusing, but something to keep in mind as we move forward and looking at our clinical trial pipeline that have several gene therapies that I think are very promising that could impact treatment in the future for people with ALS that carry a a gene mutation. 
Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the clinical trial pipeline. You know, we've talked a lot on this show in recent months about the work being done to make ALS a livable disease, all while continuing the search for treatments and a cure. What role can genetic testing and genetic counseling play in things like harm reduction, access and participation in clinical trials, and even eventually maybe preventing cases of ALS? Yeah, I think, you know, genetic testing and counseling is something more new to the to ALS community and something really important. And if you talk to your doctor and you feel like this is something that you want to do with it for your family and for yourself and understanding the full benefits and risks to doing this, because it's never, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. You need right, to figure right. out what are the po- the cons and the positives of doing this. And we are developing resources around this and we have other resources that we're going to share to help on people understand those, those benefits and risks. But if you, um, so in a scenario where a person does get genetic testing done and and finds out that they do carry a gene mutation, it changes your disease journey in that you now could be eligible for a clinical trial that's in the pipeline right now that's testing a specific gene if it's the gene that you have. So that before you weren't eligible for a trial, for example, now you are potentially, depending on what the eligibility criteria is. And we're hoping that there will be a future gene therapy in the market in the ALS space as soon as possible, then, you know, it's a great thing in that you would have, you would know that you carry that gene and that you're eligible for that treatment. Whereas before you didn't, you weren't eligible for anything Um, that, well, you were eligible for current treatments on market, but now you have this new option that really targets your disease at that specific gene. Cause that's what gene therapy does. It targets a specific gene you have. And so we think it's really important that people can understand their options and decide, make really informed decisions based on those options and decisions that, and those discussions you have with your doctor and the genetic counselor. Yeah, and one of the first steps along the path to genetic testing is that conversation with a genetic counselor. I had the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into some of the big questions around genetic testing and genetic counseling with Elizabeth Harrington, a genetic counselor at the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center at Columbia University. So let's hear from her now. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for being with us today. Of course, happy to be here. Well, it's an exciting time and an exciting conversation for us to be having as we start to think about genetic counseling for people with ALS and couldn't think of a better person to have that conversation with. But before we get into all that, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to listeners? Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to the field of genetic counseling and to the ALS community. So I'm Ellie Harrington. I am a practicing genetic counselor at uh, the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center at Columbia Medical Center in New York. And I received my master's in human genetics and genetic counseling from Stanford School of Medicine about four or five years ago now. And um, prior to that was working in clinical research at the National Institutes of Health where um, I really, you know, fell in love with genetics, however nerdy that is, and kind of the clinical and research aspect of things. And so when I was looking for positions upon graduation, you know, really uh, went towards a field where I saw an opportunity to focus on emerging genetic fields and and where um, research and genetics research could you know, had a gap and I could potentially play a big role. 
So with this kind of new position at Columbia, I've really grown into the ALS community and it's, as you mentioned, kind of an exciting time. There's a lot that has been accomplished even in the last few years around the genetics of ALS. And, you know, though the genetic forms of ALS make up a minority of the ALS population, what we can learn from that, I think, can really impact the entire ALS community. And so I think that's kind of where it's really important to me and um, that, you know, the whole community can kind of become involved as the genetics really grows. Yeah. And I want to dig into that a little bit, but let's start at the basics. You know, I, I've taken science classes <laughs> at various points in my life. I know what a double helix looks like. I have a basic <laughs> understanding of DNA. RNA has been in the news a lot in the last 18 months with COVID. But what is genetic counseling? You know, how does it work? What is a base? What is a typical visit? You know, talk to us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of genetic counseling. Sure. Yeah. Well, genetic counseling is really just a conversation. And I think that that can be misinterpreted a little bit. A lot of people think of it as genetic counseling equals genetic testing, which is not true. A lot of people don't know what genetic testing involves, what it can mean for a person or their family members. And that's what an appointment or a conversation with a genetic counselor is about, is it involves kind of getting to know you and your family, taking a family history and talking about potential genetic testing options, which could be done with a blood test or a saliva test, but really talking about what's the purpose of this test? How can it affect you? How could the results affect your family members? Talking about inheritance, how these conditions may or may not run in a family, and you know the potential benefits or drawbacks to testing and, and learning this information. So it's it's I, I would really focus on looking at it as a conversation rather than committing to testing and, and going through this process. A counselor's role is about education and adaptation, which I, I think is kind of an important point there. That is an important point, and I, I, it's helpful to hear the distinction drawn between counseling and testing that one doesn't necessarily lead to the other, although it can be a precursor, it sounds like, to mm-hmm. helping somebody make a decision of, of do I take that next step and, and go into a, having some genetic testing done. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, towards the end of the conversation, you know, our role is to help someone make that decision. Is testing a good decision? Yes or no? Is that a good decision right now? Maybe it's in six weeks, maybe it's in a year. And then on the other side of it, you know, walking you through the testing process and then on the other side, you know, helping you understand what those results are as well. So you mentioned that nexus between genetic testing, genetic counseling, and, and ALS. As, as I'm sure many listeners are aware, there are several known genetic mutations that are associated with ALS. And, and we learn about new connections, new genes that have a connection to ALS. Um, you know, I don't want to say all the time, but it, you know, it happens, you know, and, and we're continuing to learn more about that. So with that in mind, who should seek genetic counseling and when? Well, I think... Um Historically, you know, as genetic testing was really expensive and it was difficult to perform kind of from the provider's perspective, 
genetic testing was really only offered to people who have a strong family history of ALS. And that's because most people who have a genetic form of ALS have a family history. So there's kind of a line that's drawn there. We do know, though, that about 7 to 10% of people who have no family history may also have an underlying gene mutation that's causing their disease. And so, frankly, anyone who has ALS might uh, be interested if to get genetic testing themselves. There's a higher likelihood that someone with a family history would have an abnormality on testing, but that's that's not 100% of the time. So kind of who should get testing? I would say anyone can get testing. You know, there's benefits and drawbacks, and it's a very individual choice whether someone wants to get testing. And that that's the conversation with your neurologist, with your genetic counselor, is to um, talk about those details and figure out if that's something that you want to do. It's interesting you talked about the, um, you know, that this used to be something that was very expensive, so it was not available for maybe as many people as it is today. Have there been changes that are meaningful in terms of how it's covered by, say, insurance that makes it more available to, to people who maybe didn't have access to it 10 years ago? There are actually a couple of sponsored testing programs right now that completely cover the charge of testing, um, make it free of charge. You know, the provider doesn't even enter your insurance information. If they went through insurance, uh, most of the time Medicare, Medicaid covers testing now. And, um, you know, if you have commercial insurance and insurance doesn't pay for it, the cost of testing is also a lot lower. So around $250 compared to thousands and thousands of dollars previously. So there has been a big shift in that as well, which I think makes it a lot easier for individuals who might be interested in testing and also providers who are, you know, trying to communicate with all the insurance networks and providers to, to try to get this covered. So when is there a typical time when uh, when a patient, someone who's in the healthcare system, when they generally will initiate a conversation around genetic counseling? Being diagnosed with ALS is, you know, heartbreaking, right? It's yeah. It's the worst news in many ways. And takes a lot of time to kind of comprehend what that means for someone and what that means for someone's family. And um, there's usually a lot of information that's thrown at someone at the beginning. And so I don't think that um, there's necessarily a right time. It's always available. But I think when someone has had a little bit of time to process their own diagnosis, that's usually the time in which, you know, Let's kind of be a little bit more action-oriented. What, what can we do? What can we learn? How can this help you? And that's usually a time in which someone starts asking about genetic testing in our field. There are also some gene-targeted clinical trials that are out there. And so when people start to ask questions about research and clinical trials, that's also a time in which, you know, we lay out what clinical trials are out there, which ones are available, and say, you know, to start to talk about these gene-targeted trials, um, we'd really need to know more about your genetic, your genetic status, and we'd only dive more into that if, if one had a specific gene mutation. How does it work? Is this something that is a targeted test? 
I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of, of listeners. And like, is this a thing where we're, the, the test just sweeps and looks at everything and can tell me, here are your risk factors across the spectrum of everything we know that is connected with some type of genetic mutation? Or is this, we have to tell the test where to look for potential problem areas and we're being a little bit more targeted in terms of what we're looking for? The most common types of genetic tests that people think about these days are the ancestry testing or 23andMe. I like to think of those types of tests like looking at your whole genome, which is all of your 20,000 genes that make you who you are, all those recipes that spell out instructions to tell your body how to work, what to look like, how to function, protect you against diseases. Those kind of Ancestry test is our big picture view of your genome. You know, where do you come from? Let's look at long stretches of your genetic code. Whereas genetic testing for genes that are associated with ALS, we're zooming in a lot more. So we're not looking at a big picture. We're going to focus on very specific genes that we know typically play a role in the nervous system, in the motor neuron functioning system in some way, you know, through many a uh, multitude of different pathways. And there's about 30 to 40 genes that we can look at. So we're only looking at those specific genes. Um, and from that, you can kind of think of genetic testing, the most common form of genetic testing called a sequencing test. It's kind of like a spell checker. So spell checking these genes, looking for a spelling mistake or a harmful pathological variation in the genetic code that might be causing that gene not to work properly and thus cause disease symptoms. So we're, it's a really specific genetic test rather than kind of a big picture genetic test. We're not going hunting in cancer genes or, or other genes, just genes that we know could be associated with disease. I'll mention one other thing because I think this can be confusing or complicating is typically, you know, two tests can be ordered. And one is um, for a specific gene called C9ORF72. That's the most common genetic cause of ALS. And uh, there's a very specific mutation or variant in that gene, and it kind of needs to be tested on its own. So um, that's usually the first line of testing, and then we'll test all the other less common genes. That makes sense given you know the data and what it what it tells us about the distribution of mutations relative to the community. What conversations do you have you had with family members who have some they don't ha they haven't been given an ALS diagnosis, mm -hmm. but maybe a parent or a grandparent. Is that something that you've had some, you know, counseling conversations around maybe some preventative testing or, you know, getting ahead of a potential diagnosis? Is is the science there? Um, yeah. So it's it's a little, you know, I'll kind of go back to how we know genetics plays a direct role in disease, which is you know, the majority of people with ALS don't have a single genetic cause. It's not individually right. hereditary and, and runs in the family. So most people, they'll go through testing who have ALS, they'll go through testing and have a negative test result. For those people, you know, their family members are not at a huge increased risk 
for developing disease, we're all at a little bit of an increased risk whenever, you know, we have a family member with cancer or heart disease, but it's not, you know, a genetic form where there's a large increased risk in the family. So for people who are asymptomatic, healthy family members of someone who has ALS, really the first thing to do is get that family member tested. Okay, we don't really offer testing to healthy family members unless there's a known genetic cause, unless that person has had genetic testing and is tested positive for an ALS gene, or if there's a really strong family history, then we would um, say, okay, well, this might be genetic in the family and you know, we, their family member with ALS wasn't able to get tested that's when we might do predictive genetic testing. So that predictive genetic testing really occurs, you know, when there's a gene mutation known in the family or when there is, you know, a strong family history of disease. But I, I would, you know, most people, I think it's important to kind of start with the person who's affected. Otherwise, we're, we're kind of going hunting for something we don't know that might not exist, really, is kind of the thought process there. That makes sense. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier concerns that people might have when they're talking about genetic counseling. Can you just kind of talk about some of the common concerns that you hear from patients who who may be reluctant or hesitant to go down the path of genetic testing? So, you know, this genetic test is for the person who has disease symptoms. They're you know, spit sample or blood sample, it's their DNA. But we share our genetics with our family, our kids, our siblings, our parents. And so as much as it's their individual test, the results of that really can have implications on family members. And so I think um, in some sense, it can be a family affair, and that can make people anxious, nervous. How is this going to affect emotionally, you know, physically my family members. And so some people choose to kind of wait and talk to their family. You know, if I got tested, would you want to know my results? Right. Um, should I tell you those results? So that's kind of, a, I think, an important piece of that initial conversation is how will this also affect family members? The other thing I'll, I'll mention, which is not a huge thing, but I think part of the conversation that some people bring up is potential insurance discrimination risks. So this is something that we kind of hear about in the background whenever we're talking about genetic testing, and I'll, I'll try to simplify it. But we're all protected. All Americans are protected by a law called GINA, G-I-N-A which stands for Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. And this law protects us against mainly our health insurance companies and our employers from using any genetic information against us. So our health insurance still has to cover all of our health costs and our employers can't fire us regardless of any genetic test results that we get back. What is not covered under GINA, the main one people think about is life insurance. Other ones that come up are long-term care and disability insurance. Mm. So, you know, essentially, if one is applying for a new life insurance policy, you know, everyone knows the drill. They ask you a ton of questions about your health, get your medical records, do a physical exam. A life insurance company has the right to use your genetic results to discriminate against you. 
make you pay more, not insure you. So for someone with ALS, you know, it's actually kind of a moot point, right? If they have an ALS diagnosis, a genetic test result isn't really going to do much more. If a policy is yeah. going to discriminate against you, they might already be doing so based on, on your diagnosis. So for, you know, someone who has ALS and they're considering genetic testing, those risks for them, I think, are low, if, if we think about it in that way. Where it comes into play is for family members. Mm. So if, if someone who is healthy in the family knows that there is a gene mutation that they're at risk for and they want to get testing, right? They don't have any marks on their medical record. And if there's a positive test result, then their insurance company could use that against them. And so for, um, you know, the best advice we can give is make sure that those people who are healthy and getting predictive testing, you know, that they get all their insurances in place prior to them getting testing. So that's, you know, all a process that counselors can help walk people through. It's usually not a huge part of the conversation, you know, when someone who has ALS is going through testing, it's more, you know, if there's a test result, let's talk about how this will impact other family members and what we would do for them before they got tested. Thank you for that. No, that makes sense. And I, I appreciate the deep dive into Gina and the protections that it does provide and some of the decisions that, that folks might have to make around that. Ellie, those are all the questions that I had for you today. But before I let you go, is there anything else that, that I might have overlooked or not thought to ask or closing thoughts that you want to share with listeners around genetic counseling and genetic testing? Oh, oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, there's so much out there right now that can be confusing, um, you know, portrayed in different lights. And I think asking questions to your provider is the first step in this, you know, talking about the benefits and, and drawbacks and seeing if it's right for you and then talking to your family and that um, having those conversations is not locking you into testing. Um, it's just making you better informed. A hopeful note to close on. Um, Ellie Harrington, thanks so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks so much. Take care. Well, thanks again to my guest co-host this week, Dr. Jill Yersak, uh, Vice President of Mission Strategy at the ALS Association, and to Ellie Harrington, a genetic counselor at the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center at Columbia University. We will share links for more information on genetic testing and genetic counseling in the show notes. That's going to do it for this week's episode. You can subscribe to Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please take time to rate and review us. It is a great way for us to connect with even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, production management by Gabriella Montekin, supervised by David Hoffman. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.